0: Okay, we are in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And we'll do the whole chapter today. Proverbs 4, let's read it and then we'll uh, have our Bible study. Verse 1 says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is, acquire wisdom. And with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear my son and accept my sayings. In the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness, they do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all of your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that we would hear the instructions of our Father, and that, Lord, we would give attention to the understanding that comes from above. Lord, that we would, with all of our heart and all of our strength, Lord, with all of our might, that we would seek to acquire wisdom. And in all of our acquiring, Lord, that we would gain understanding. Understanding of you. Lord, understanding of salvation. Understanding of, Lord, the day of judgment and the outcome of the wicked. Lord, understanding of eternal life and of godliness. Lord, this is the wisdom that we seek. This is what we want. Lord, how that we might have life and godliness in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, teach us this wisdom today. And Lord, may we want it and desire it more than anything else in this life. And it is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Well, here in chapter four, these opening chapters of the book of Proverbs, he is commending to us the necessity of wisdom, why it is that we should seek it, desire it above everything else in the world, right? This is the key to life is to acquire the wisdom of God that makes someone wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the wisdom that the book of Proverbs is teaching and all of the Bible is teaching. The Bible is given to us, every word of God given to us so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in the word of God. And we do not need to look to any other source. We don't need any other person, any other man, any other uh, uh, professional, any expert. We just need the word of God. And the word of God is sufficient to give us everything necessary for life and godliness. And it is dealing with issues of eternal life. This is why it's so important for us to understand it, to acquire this wisdom, because if we don't, the end will be eternal damnation. And if we do acquire it, the end will be eternal life. Well, we don't want to go to hell, do we? No, of course not. We want to go to heaven. We want our children to go to heaven. Well, how are we going to go to heaven if we don't know the way, if we don't have the understanding that is necessary to lift us out of death, out of darkness, out of sin, and to set our feet on solid ground? How will we know where the place of refuge is if we don't learn, if we don't understand that it is in Jesus Christ alone? Because everyone is out there telling us that there are many ways of salvation. But the Bible is telling us that there's only one way. There's only one refuge. There's only one rock by which we can be delivered from our sin. And that rock is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible is teaching us. The way that we, as sinners, can be reconciled to God. How we can have a righteousness, not of our own, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and is for all who believe. This is the wisdom that we need. And this is why he is urging his son, imploring him, right? Pleading with him to listen to me, listen to me, listen to my words, right? Because this is life and death. We're talking about salvation and damnation, and we have to take it that seriously as well. This is what we should seek. And if we are parents, fathers, and mothers, or grandparents, then we should be teaching our children and grandchildren these things as well. So let's pick up in verse one. It says, hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Here, he tells him, Here, here, O sons, the instruction of a father. Right? Isn't it typically true that sons trust their father? That the sons, the children, know that the father has good for them? Didn't Jesus even say this? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Generally speaking, fathers do good to their children, and here we're not talking about a worldly father, we're talking about a Christian father, a believing father, right, one who has been redeemed. So of course, he loves his sons, and of course, he's not going to tell them things that are going to be for their destruction, for their ruin, but he's telling them things that are for their good, for their benefit, so they ought to listen, Sons should listen to the instruction of a father, especially when the father is a believer and when the father is teaching them what the Bible says. And this is what he is saying here. Give attention, he says, to uh, give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction, right? He's giving to them, to us, sound teaching, right? If we listen, we will gain understanding. So he's saying, you need this. If you gain it, then hold on to it and do not ever abandon it, right? The words of God are not temporary. They're not for us for a moment or season in life. There are some things that we need only for a season in life, but not the word of God. The word of God we need for all of our life, right? In this life and in the life to come. So he says, whatever I'm telling you has eternal consequences. So do not abandon it. Also follow his example. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Right? These words, this wisdom did not begin with him, but rather his father taught him as well. I was a son. I was in your situation. I was the son and my father taught me. I was tender, the only son on the side of my mother. He taught me and I believed him. I held fast to his words. Now I'm telling you, you do the same thing that I did. So he's not expecting of his son something that he himself has not done. He listened to his father. Now he's saying, now you listen to me as well. And isn't this the way many times that God has ordained to pass the faith from one generation to the next? A father teaching the child. Then that child having his own children, raising them up, And then he passes it on to them. And then it goes generation after generation after generation. God is pleased to do this in many ways that he passes the faith from one generation to the next. And it is through this instruction that we should teach. Now, again, it's not guaranteed because there are some children who depart from the teaching of their father. But it should not be because we did not instruct them. If they will depart, let it be because of their own unbelief, not because they don't know the way. They need to know the way, and how are they going to know it if the fathers are not teaching them? So he's teaching his son just as his father taught him. And then he's imploring his son to listen just as he listened to his father. He has it there in both regards. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy 4 the Bible teaches this principle all over the place of the need to teach our children and our grand- grandchildren. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Here he's saying, you don't need to forget these things, right? You need to keep them in your eyes, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and then you need to make them known to your sons and grandsons. And if we're teaching our sons and grandsons, then isn't that going to benefit us as well? Because not only are they hearing it, but when we're teaching them, we are hearing it too. It's going to keep it into our mind. We're going to say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to tell them what to do and then me myself not keep it. So instead, it's going to remind us to take it serious and of what we need to do. Also in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So there, the words of God, diligently, we should teach them diligently to your sons. Constantly, diligently, faithfully, not sporadically, not carelessly, not here a little, there a little, but diligently. We should teach these things to our sons. And if God gives us grandsons, Teach them to them as well. And if we live long enough to have great-grandchildren, then teach it to them too, whoever will listen. Also, Psalm 78, Psalm 78, verse four. Actually, let's pick up in verse one. Psalm 78, verse one says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So there, they're not going to conceal it, he says, from their children. How could we conceal these things from our children, knowing that this is life and death? No, we're not going to do that. If we believe it, then we're going to tell them. We're going to want them to believe it. We're going to tell them what God has done from generation to generation. Also, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1.5 says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. So there, his sincere faith was first in his grandmother Lois, then the mother Eunice, and now in Timothy. The grandmother, the mother, and now the grandson. They taught him the faith. They taught him the word of God, and he believed, right? He believed. How will they uh, believe without hearing? How will someone believe without hearing the gospel. How will our children believe unless someone tells them? So we have to be the ones to tell them these things. Verse five, what do we need to know? Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Acquire wisdom. He's saying that emphatically. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. And again, here we are talking about the wisdom of God that is dealing with salvation. Salvation and godliness. This is the wisdom that he is imploring them To acquire, this is what you need. Don't forget it, he says. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake this wisdom because if you hold on to it, and that means believe it, believe it and live according to it, then she will guard over you. If you love her, she will watch over you. If we love the wisdom of God in the word of God that is found there, then that wisdom will guard over us and it will protect us in this life and in the life to come, it will benefit us in all things. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is what the wisdom of God will do it will guard us and watch over us, protect us from all evil. We won't be hoodwinked by false teachers, we won't go into pathways of sin. We'll be able to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil if we hold fast to the wisdom of God. It will guard us and watch over us in this present life. He says the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all of your acquiring, get understanding. The beginning of wisdom is acquire it, right? You have to see then your need. That's what he's teaching here. Doesn't it take humility to admit that I have no wisdom, that I'm a fool, that I need God to teach me? That's what he's saying here. You have to see, first and foremost, that you are a foolish man. You are a simple man. You have no understanding of God. And if you're going to have understanding, you have to acquire it from whom? You have to go to God. You have to go to God. This is as it says in James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives graciously without contempt. We have to go to God to get wisdom. But we first have to be humble and admit that we don't have any, that we desperately need it, and that God is the only one who possesses it. And then we have to plead with God for him to give to us his wisdom. This is the very beginning of wisdom, is the need of it, to see our need of the wisdom of God. Now, we remember in Proverbs 1, verse 7, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here he says... The beginning of wisdom is to acquire wisdom, but these are one in the same. These are one in the same. It is the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the day of judgment and the knowledge of our own sin that causes us to see that we don't have any wisdom and that we need God to give it to us, and then we go and we get it. So the fear of the Lord prompts us to acquire the wisdom of God, the fear of the Lord leads to acquiring the wisdom of God. So they are one in the same. The beginning of wisdom is both the fear of the Lord and the acquiring of wisdom. Jeremiah chapter six. Jeremiah chapter six. Verses 16 and 17. Jeremiah 6 Verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the way and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Here, what Jeremiah is teaching is the same. You need to stand by the ways and, and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it. You need to go and seek from God the ancient path, the good path, the pathway of wisdom. And then you need to walk in it and do that. But these people, they don't want it. They have no desire for it. They don't want to acquire it. This is why they won't ever arrive at wisdom. They will always be fools as long as they continue in this unbelief. Because the beginning of wisdom is to acquire it. You have to go and ask God to teach you. You have to go and say, God, I don't trust myself. I don't trust my own knowledge. I don't trust my own understanding. I don't trust the people of this world. I only trust you and you need to give me wisdom. So please give me what I don't have and then seek it in the ways that God requires of us. But they don't want it. They say, no, we don't want it. We don't want to listen. We don't want to hear Right, God sends watchmen over them and they say, we don't want to listen to the sound of the trumpet. We don't want to walk in the pathway of righteousness. So will these people ever arrive at wisdom? It's impossible because they have no desire for it. We must first desire it by seeing our need of it in light of the fear of the Lord. Verse 9 says, She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Here in verse 8, he had said that if you prize wisdom, then she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. There is honoring, right? There is exaltation found in wisdom. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. If we humble ourselves before God, which is the attitude of acquiring wisdom, then God will exalt us on the day of judgment. So there is a prize that comes with wisdom. There is honor and exaltation that accompanies the one who possesses wisdom. Then in verse nine, he describes what are these blessings? What are the blessings of wisdom? Well, she will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? A garland of grace. No one wants a garland of uh, wrath, right? That wouldn't be any good. A garland of thorns, a garland of trash. No one wants that, but a garland of grace. Well, that sounds wonderful. How about a crown of beauty? That sounds very nice and pleasant. Nobody wants a crown of ugliness right? Nobody wants to be hideous in that way, but a crown of beauty? This is what wisdom will give. And what kind of beauty? Right? What kind of garland is there? It's spiritual. It is spiritual, and it will be seen in this life in the godliness that is the result of the wisdom of God. When the saints of God live a godly life, it is their beauty. It is their honor. It shows that they are adorned with the fruits of the spirit and it makes them beautiful in the sight of god now it also makes them detestable in the sight of this world because they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and it is a fragrance of death to them but in the sight of god they become very beautiful and also in the sight of the other saints in the sight of other believers when we see the godliness of someone then it makes them beautiful in our sight as well. That is what is attractive and appealing to the children of God. Also, verse 10, accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. Is that a blessing or a curse to have long life? Years of your life will be many. Well, in the Bible, long life is always a blessing, a blessing that God can bestow. And he may do that in this life, and he has done that to many righteous people in the Bible. They had long life, such as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron. They all had long life, Uh, Joshua, others, as examples of eternal life, as illustrations of the eternal life that God will give to all of those who acquire his wisdom. Well, we want that, right? Long life. Well, these are the things that accompany wisdom. Also, notice in verse 10, he says, Hear, my son, and accept my sayings. Right, Right. hear and accept. This is true faith. True faith is not merely hearing the word and having some knowledge of the truth, some understanding of this or that fact about the Bible. There are many people who have that. Many people, many false churches, false denominations, will say that they believe Jesus is the son of God. They believe he died. They believe he rose from the dead. They'll say that they believe all those things and there is some type of mental uh, assent to those truths. But they don't have true faith in them. They don't truly believe them because they do not accept the sayings of God. We must hear and accept. We must hear it and obey it, right? That is where true faith is manifested and true faith is evidenced. James chapter 1. This would be the same as Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the wise man who built his house on the rock is the one who hears the word and keeps it and obeys it. And then the one who hears the word and doesn't keep it is like the one whose house is built upon the sand. James teaches this as well in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. He says, This you should know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Notice that. In humility he says, "Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul isn 't that the same as Proverbs four? We have to have humility then verse twenty two but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man uh, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he is immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That's the way we have to be. Not merely hearers of the word who delude ourselves, but one who hears and practices, one who hears it and does it. Or as he says in verse 10 of Proverbs chapter four, hear my son and accept my sayings. To hear and to accept. The hearing is what we have audibly, we hear it. And then the accepting is what takes place in the heart. The hearing of faith that takes place in the heart when we truly believe. Verse 11, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Take a hold of of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Here, he tells them that the way of wisdom that he is directing him in is an upright path. Upright. It's not a crooked path. It's not a path that leads to to our ruin and destruction for us to fall and stumble in the way. That's why he says, when you walk, your steps won't be impeded. There's nothing impeding us in the pathway of righteousness, in the pathway of holiness. The only thing that impedes us is our own sin, but nothing in what God is requiring, what God expects, what the word of God teaches us. There are no hindrances. There's nothing there to make us stumble and fall to sin and to ruin and destruction. It is a straight path, right? A straight, it's a narrow path, but it is smooth. Right, It does not have potholes in it. There are not obstacles that we have to jump over. There's nothing there, nothing dangerous in the pathway of righteousness, nothing that would impede us so that if we run, we're not going to stumble. We're not going to step into a hole and stumble and fall to our own ruin and destruction. There's nothing there that is going to cause us to stumble. So it is a good path, a good path that leads to our blessing and it leads to Godliness, not to sin. Also then 13, take a hold of instruction, do not let go, guard her, for she is your life. We have to hold on to it with all of our might. Here he's saying, you have to guard it because she is your life, and there are going to be those who want to snatch the word away from us. Is't this what happens in Matthew 13 in the parable of the soils? The word that lands on the pathway, Satan comes and snatches it away. He snatches it away. There are gonna be people who want to snatch the word away from us. Well, when they try to snatch it, what do we need to do? Hold on to it, right? Guard it. Don't let them snatch it away from us, but rather hold on to the word of God with all of our might because she is our life. Our life is bound up with the word of God. And if we depart from the word of God, we don't walk away from life. This would be like if you were on an airplane and you had a parachute and that plane was about to go down. Are you going to throw your parachute over there on the side? Are you not going to cling to it with all of your might, seeing that your life is bound up with that parachute? You're going to hold on to it because you know that if you don't, you're going to die. Or if you have some terminal disease and there is a medicine, Are you going to forget where you put your medicine? Won't you know where it's at and aren't you going to guard it? And if someone tries to take it away from you, they're going to have to pry it out of your dead hands, right? Because your life is dependent on that medicine. So it is spiritually. Our life is dependent on the word of God. Therefore, we must guard the deposit that has been given to us and not let anyone take it away from it. Cling fast to it. Hold fast to the word of God truth this is in genesis 32 this is what jacob did when he wrestled with the angel of the lord he would not let go until he received the blessing of god and this is how we should be with the word of god the word of christ Jacob was holding fast to the pre-incarnate Christ and we need to hold fast to the word of Christ, to the word of Christ. Genesis 32:24. then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. So there, Jacob would not let go until he received the blessing of God. He said, no, I will not let go unless you bless me. So we should not let go of the word of God until we enter into the blessing of God, into the life to come. We should cling fast to it, hold fast to it, because that is where the blessed life is found, in the word of God. So cling fast and do not let go. Or as it says in Hebrews 10, hold fast to your confession of hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23, we have to hold fast the confession of our hope without any wavering. This is what the prophet is teaching in Proverbs as well. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it, turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Not only do we need to hold fast to the word of God, but we also need to reject that which is evil. This is what we read this morning from Psalm 119. Depart from me, he said, you evildoers. Well, now he's saying, you stay away from them. Right? Don't have anything to do with these people. Don't enter into the path of the wicked. Don't follow them in evil ways. He says, avoid it. Don't pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Aren't there places that we know are places of sin? We know that those are places of sin. We know that people do evil deeds in certain places. So why would we even want to be in proximity to those places? Why would we even pass by that way if we know that there's sin being committed there? We shouldn't. We should avoid it with all of our might. Now, there are some times when temptation is unavoidable, right? When it is unavoidable, we're not seeking it out. This we referenced this morning was the case with Joseph. Joseph didn't want to be tempted by Potiphar's wife, but he found himself there in a moment of temptation. But when he found himself there, what did he do? He fled and got away as quickly as possible. But he wasn't going into her bedroom when she was there by, by herself. He wasn't doing that. She trapped him, but he was trying to stay as far away from her as possible. And I can guarantee you that Joseph did everything he could to avoid being in private with that woman because he knew what kind of woman she was. Well, this is how we should be as well. Towards sinners. Towards sinful things. Evil things. Avoid it. Stay away from it. Right? Turn it off, right? Don't have anything to do with it. Get rid of it, right? Turn it off, get away from it, pass by. Don't have anything to do with wicked men because they cannot sleep unless they do evil. This is how insatiable they are to commit sin. They're not able to rest. They're not able to sleep unless they do evil. They're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. It's not enough that they themselves do evil but they also want other people to do evil with them. This is how much they love sin. They want to sin, they want others to sin with them, and they cannot even sleep unless this takes place. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Can we eat poisoned bread and it not kill us? Can we drink poisoned wine and it not be harmful to our health? Well, what about spiritually? If you're eating the bread of wickedness, isn't that going to make you wicked? And if you're drinking the wine of violence, then you'll be a violent person. So why would you want to eat and drink with these people? Don't partake of what they are partaking of spiritually. Earlier, we took of the Lord's Supper. We ate of the body of the Lord, figuratively speaking. We drank of the blood of the Lord, figuratively, symbolically speaking. That's good for us. It's good for us because it reminds us of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's the things that we need to be partaking of spiritually. But not of sin. Not wickedness and violence as these people are doing. Psalm 36. Psalm 36. Psalm 36 verse 1 speaks of the wicked man. One to four, says transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself in a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. This is describing what we're reading in Proverbs chapter 4. It speaks to them in their heart. Their heart has this insatiable desire for sin, and it is dictating and controlling everything about their life. Even on their bed, they're thinking about the sins that they want to commit. And then when they rise, they set themselves their feet to go and do those things, to commit their evil deeds, and they have no fear of God. Contrary to what we read in Psalm 119 this morning, where there, the man of God, he, his body trembles with fear of the Lord. He is afraid of the judgments of God, but they are not afraid of God's judgment. They actually have flattered themselves in their own mind that their sins will not be found out and hated. That God does not see their sin, and God will not hate their sin. Well, isn't that the same as Psalm 119 this morning? Their deceitfulness is useless, They think that God doesn't see, and they think that God doesn't hate it, and they convince themselves that God's not going to do anything, but they're sorely mistaken. And they're going to find out the hard way on the day of judgment what's going to happen to them because of their sin. That's why we have to stay away from these people. They're going to go to hell. And if we participate in sin with them, we're going to go to hell with them. Do you want to go to hell? No. Do you want your children to go to hell? No then stay away from them. Avoid their path. Stay away from them. Don't let them tempt you to commit sins against God. Verses 18 and 19. Notice the contrast. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Here, the contrast, the path of the righteous, the path that he talked about that will not impede our steps. We can run in this path and we're not going to fall. We're not going to stumble. This path is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The pathway of righteousness, when we walk in that pathway, it shines brighter and brighter and brighter. Right When we are obeying God and when we are living a godly life and progressing in our salvation, then isn't there more and more and more light shining in us? It's like the dawn that as the sun rises, more light is given off. And when we walk in the pathway of righteousness, then our life will emanate more of the light of Christ and we will shine brighter and brighter and brighter until ultimately the sun rises completely upon us when we see Christ face to face and we'll have more light, more understanding. So we're not going to stumble and fall. But the wicked, their way is like darkness. The more a man goes into sin, doesn't he descend into greater degrees of darkness? More deceit, more delusions, more lies. His mind becomes more clouded with greater and greater darkness. And then to the point they don't even know what they're stumbling over. They're just stumbling and falling left and right, and they don't even know it anymore. They are so calloused in their sin. This is what sin does. It callouses a man. Their conscience is seared as with a branding iron. And whenever there is a searing of the conscience, it has no feeling anymore. Those things that earlier used to bother them, it would prick their conscience. As you commit those sins more and more and more, the conscience becomes seared and it doesn't bother us anymore. There's no feeling in it. This is what happens in the way of wickedness, the pathway of the wicked. This is what it leads to. So we should avoid it. Avoid it, have nothing to do with it. Malachi chapter four. Malachi chapter four, verses one to three. CHAPTER four, verse one. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all of the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. So there, the day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming, right? The day of the Lord. And this day is burning like a furnace. And what will happen to all of the arrogant and all of the evildoers? They're gonna be burned up in this fire like chaff, he says. He will set them ablaze so that it leaves them neither root nor branch. Utterly consumed, In the judgment of God. But those who fear the Lord, the Son of Righteousness, and who is the Son of Righteousness? Jesus Jesus Christ. He will rise with healing in His wings, and it will bring about our full, perfect, final salvation. And even now, He is rising within our hearts every day, over and over again, so that His light is shining in us more and more as we are sanctified throughout this life. Verse 20 to 23. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Here again, he is imploring him to give attention, incline his ear. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. He's saying, you must listen to me. You must take these things seriously. Take them to heart. You must believe what I am telling you. They are life to those who find them and health to all their body. The word of God gives life. It gives life and it gives healing to the body. Not that it heals us of all of our sicknesses, as some people falsely teach in this life, but it will ultimately heal us because in the life to come, there will be no more sickness. Our bodies will be perfectly healed from the effects of sin. Then in verse 23, a very important verse. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Here, by heart, he means the center of the person. That part of the man that controls every other part. The heart is the center of who we are. And it is from the heart that all of the issues of life, they flow from or they come from this source. So the heart is what is governing everything about us. Our thoughts, right? Our mind, our actions, our will, our emotions. Everything is controlled by the heart, So we have to guard our heart with all diligence because if our heart is corrupt, then what's going to be in our, in our mind? Corrupt thoughts. If our heart is corrupt, what's going to come out of our mouth? Corrupt words. If our heart is corrupt, what's going to be in our hands and in our feet? Corrupt deeds, evil deeds. These are the things that will come out of us. So he says, you must guard your heart with all diligence because from the heart, Flow the springs of life. We have to take this very, very seriously. If we take into our heart sin, idols, evil things, then what will come out of us? Sin, idolatry, and evil things. Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14 And verses 1 to 5, Ezekiel 14, verses 1 to 5, notice here, Ezekiel 14, verse 1, says, Then some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block Of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God Any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols, in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. Here, notice that the prophet or the Lord speaking to the prophet tells him that these men, where have they put their idols up at, right? Their idols, in terms of the physical image, is sitting on the mantle, it's sitting in the shrine, in the temple, it's under the green tree, wherever it is that they have their shrine. That's where the physical image, Idol, the image is found. But spiritually speaking, where is the idol? He says it's in their heart. They've placed it in their heart. They take the idol into the heart. Well, if the idol is in the heart, and according to our passage, from the heart flow the springs of life, then what's going to come out of the man? Whatever is in accordance with the idol. Well, can idols see? No. Can they hear? No. Can they speak what is true? No. Do they do what's right? No. Do they command righteousness? No. They don't do any of those things. And what is an idol, according to the Apostle Paul? An idol is nothing at all, right? But what is behind the idol? Demons. A demon. A demon is the inventor of the idol. Spiritually speaking, the demon is the one who inspires the wicked man to create the idol. So if they're taking their idols into their hearts, then they are taking demons, the doctrine of demons, into their hearts. And if we have demons in our hearts, then what are we going to behave like? We'll be like a demon. We'll live just like our idol. And this is what it says in Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verses one. 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Those who make idols become like their idol. What the idol is physically is what the people are spiritually. An idol has a mouth, but it can't speak, right? It has ears, but it can't hear. It has a nose, but it can't smell. It has hands, but it can't feel. It has feet, but it cannot walk. Well, spiritually speaking, those who worship idols, they have eyes, physical eyes, but they don't have spiritual eyes. They have physical ears, but they don't have spiritual ears. Physical noses, but not spiritual, right? They don't see and understand the things of God because they are just like their idols. Well, this is why he's telling us to guard our hearts. Guard your heart with all diligence because from the heart come, issue, flow the springs of life. If you take the idol, if you take sin into your heart, then you can rest assured that that is what will come out. And it says in 1 John five twenty one, little children... Guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourselves from idols. And this is why. Verse 24 Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all of your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil how do we guard our heart with all diligence? Well, he describes it here. We reject evil and we pursue righteousness. We reject lies and falsehood and we pursue what is true. Instead of putting an idol in our heart, what should we put in our heart? Well, we should put the word of God in our heart, right? Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart. I'm not putting an idol in my heart. Your word is in my heart. And if God's word is in our hearts, then what's gonna come out of our life? The word of God. Those deeds, those words, those thoughts that are in accordance with the word of God, then I'm not gonna sin against God, right? This is the way that we need to be. And this is what he is teaching here. You have to put a deceitful mouth far from you, devious speech far from you, And again, how do we do that? Well, we speak what the word of God says so that instead of spewing out lies, we are spewing out truth. And let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. We need to set our sight on Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God the Father. We need to set our eyes on the kingdom of God, right? And fix our gaze upon those things like flint. And don't turn to the right or to the left. Don't be enamored by the things of this world. That's what he says. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. People are going to be screaming at us on the right, saying, turn aside here. Come over here. Look at this. Or they'll be over on the left screaming at us, telling us, come over here. Look at this. But what do we need to keep our eyes fixed on? Straight on the pathway of righteousness. And that is found in the word of God. Reading the word of God, seeking the will of God, right? Wanting to know what does God say about this issue and that issue. And then whatever he says, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to turn away from evil. I'm going to do what is good and right in the sight of God. This is the way that we have to live according to the wisdom of God found in the word of God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray, Lord, that we would, Set our faces like flint, Lord, toward the kingdom of God. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ, he had his, his pathway, Lord, his, his life was fixed upon doing your will. He said that he had food to eat that the people knew nothing of. His food was to do the will of him who sent him. So, Lord, we pray that this would be our food as well. Lord, that we would want nothing more than to do your will. Lord, that we would take your word and Lord, that you would write it upon our heart. Lord, that we would treasure it. Lord, just as those idolaters place their idols before their eyes. So Lord, may we place your word before our eyes and read it and Lord, believe it. Lord, we pray that we would accept the sayings found in your word. Lord, accept them and believe them as true and obey them. And that we would not turn to the right or to the left. Lord, we know that there will be many who want to tempt us to forsake the path, to turn aside. But Lord, we want to stay on the straight ways. Lord, knowing that the pathway of righteousness, Lord, there is nothing there that will make us stumble and fall to our ruin and destruction, but only that which is good for us, only that which will lead to long life. Lord, only that which will result in eternal glory and eternal honor, a garland of grace and a crown of beauty. These are the things, Lord, that we desire and what we need. So, Father, we pray that you would cause this world and all of its treasures, Lord, all of its allurements, Lord that, we would, Lord, that we would not love these things, but, Lord, we would see them for what they are. Lord, all of it will be burned with fire. And that, Lord, we would desire those things that are heavenly and eternal and spiritual. So, Lord, give to us this wisdom, and may we live according to it, Lord, this week, and Lord, every week, Lord, that you might be glorified in our life. Father, we thank you for our time together today with your people, and Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless us as a church, Lord, that you would build us up. Lord, as well, we pray for our children and our grandchildren, Lord, that the faith which is found in us, Lord, we pray that it would also be found in them. And that, Lord, we would be diligent to teach them, and we pray that you would bless our efforts, Lord, by giving them true faith and true repentance, and that they might live a godly life. Lord, be with us the remainder of this Lord's Day. We pray that we would continue, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to seek you diligently. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.